Hey everybody, this is Kim Bean and you are listening to All Things Wolf and Wild. I want to start out with this podcast first by asking you, if you have not read the article, Was Yellowstone's Deadliest Wolf Hunt in 100 Years an Inside Job by Ryan Devereaux in The Intercept, just put this podcast on pause, roll on out, find this article, it came out on July 20th. Sit down, read it. It's really, really an important article. If you have anything to do with wolves, Montana, Yellowstone National Park, any of this, you need to read this article. It is that important. And that's why we're here is to talk about it. So let me introduce you to Ryan really quick. Ryan Devereaux is an award-winning investigative journalist based in Tucson, Arizona. He was a lead reporter on The Intercept's award-winning series, The Drone Papers, the winner of the 2017 Online Journalism Award for Best Feature Writing for a Small Newsroom. In 2020, Devereaux received the Deadline Club's top prize for best newspaper or digital feature reporting for Bodies in the Borderlands. It was a year-long investigation into the Trump administration's crackdown on humanitarian aid providers in the Sonoran Desert. He has reported extensively on the drug war in Mexico, criminal justice, the war on terror, and immigration enforcement on the southern border. Prior to The Intercept, Devereaux worked at The Guardian U.S. covering policies in New York. Ryan is a phenomenal, a phenomenal investigative reporter. And when he wrote this article, I did not wait a second to call on him and say, please, please come sit down and do a podcast with me and just explain to me where you started and why and how you ended up where you did. So without further ado, I really, really, really cannot wait to get into this. So hang tight. Here's, uh, here's a conversation with me and Ryan. Ah, oh, God, it's so good that you're finally here, Ryan. I am beyond excited, as I've said prior to actually pushing record, that I get to sit down and talk to you about this article that is truly everybody out there that has any connection to Yellowstone National Park, Montana, wolves, that whole environmental um, contingency, everybody is talking about this article And so a lot of thank yous are coming to me to give to you for writing this article because it's so important to have it out there. Um, So thank you from a whole bunch of people um, that follow Wolves of the Rockies and myself. I have one person who literally sent me an email last night and said, Kim, I sent the article to every single senator in D.C. from Nancy Pelosi all the way down. And I said, that's awesome. So thank you. Thank you for being here with me to um, try to go through this article. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really looking forward to digging into this. And it was a, it was a long process. I feel almost a little in, intimidated talking to you because I mean, you've been in this for so long. So I feel like I'm going to be, I'm not going to be telling you anything you you don't already know, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm really happy to be here and, and looking forward to just digging in. Well, there's things that you hit on that we know about and things that you've taught um, Mark and I. So thank you 
Um, you, you actually exploded a few neat little bombs there that, that we need to follow up with. So thanks. Um, we've got a lot to talk about in a very short amount of time. So I'm just going to jump right in. And a lot of people, literally, I even had um, other uh, a journalist call me and say, ask him this, right? So there are going to be questions in here from all kinds of people. Um, Sounds good. But one of the main thing is literally how did you get started on this story? I mean, what sparked your interest in in Wolves and, and Yellowstone in Montana? I mean, you do so much journalistic uh, journalism with, you know, borders and politics. So what, what brought you here? Yeah. So maybe the best way to answer that is just to explain a, a little bit about what I do professionally. I yeah. work for The Intercept. It's a nonprofit uh, newsroom based out of New York City. I happen to be based out of Tucson, Arizona. Uh, I've covered a lot of issues over the years, um, drug war, human rights issues in Mexico, uh, the war on terror. Um, I did a, a big investigative project surrounding the Bundys, the Nevada ranching family who had the standoff with BLM in 2014 and, and later took over a wildlife refuge. Yeah. Um, and then, as you mentioned, in the last several years, I've, I've done a lot of focus. I've focused a lot of my time on the U.S.-Mexico border here and a lot on immigration enforcement. Um, I did a, a ton of reporting around a series of uh, you know, federal investigations and trials here involving humanitarian aid volunteers who um, faced charges uh, related to their work in the Sonoran Desert doing search and rescue work. Um, so that's that's the kind of, you know, I've done a, a lot on federal agencies and a lot of sort of federal inv investigations, those sorts of issues. At the same time, I'm also, um, I'm from out west. I enjoy the outdoors. I have a friend who has a ranch in southwest Montana. And for years, I, you know, I've been going out. Uh, out there to visit in the summers, spending time in Southwest Yellowstone, Southwest Montana and Northern Yellowstone. Um, and, you know, kind of just personally been, uh, you know, interested in wolves since as long as I can remember. Uh, yeah. So I was familiar with the reintroduction story. I, I spent a fair amount of time camping in Slough Creek and in the Lamar Valley. And I happened to be there last year um a month before the hunt started uh in august and there was a there was a moment people you know some of the the dedicated wolf watchers will remember there was a there was a couple weeks in mid-august where a bull bison had gored another bull bison mm -hmm. and the by the gored to death and this bison's corpse was sort of left out there and actually dragged across the road there in, in slough and you know the wolves were showing up on a regular basis so i happened to be camping there at the time while this was all happening so you know kind of had wolves on my mind uh when i left uh montana at, at the end of the summer and so I was keeping an eye on things. I uh, started to see the stories popping up here and there about the hunt. I was really intrigued when, you know, I don't, don't remember how many of them there were, but dozens of sort of veteran Montana wildlife managers, researchers, biologists, you, you probably remember this, they published a, a joint sort of, essay, I think it was in the Mountain Journal uh, towards the end of the year, um, 
describing um, their alarm at the direction that wildlife management was taking in the state and specifically, you know, in the case of wolves and also uh, grizzlies. I I read a piece that Chris Serving, who, you know, sort of led the grizzly uh, recovery project wrote where he was talking about how the Montana's new governor, Greg Gianforte was returning the state to the 1880s or at least attempting to. So, so I was, very interested in that idea and uh, interested in this uh, sort of how it was all coming together. So when I I started working on this, my focus was really on the FWP game commission and how it came together. Um, There was a lot of, you know, good, really good local reporting on, you know, the backgrounds of some of these incoming commissioners. And I just started calling people um and trying to get the lay of the land as to how the commission works well, the commission's relationship to fwp uh, you know the difference between a state game agency and the sort of prerogative of you know the federal the federal government and the sort of you know long history of fwp uh, in montana and started hearing a lot of a lot of common themes in folks I would speak to, which is, you know, one of them being that Montana sort of post-1995 reintroduction started, you know, really developing a reputation as a, as a, you know, unlike some of its counter other counterparts in the Northern Rockies, a reputation for like science-driven, mm-hmm. non-partisan, right. non-political wildlife management and what was happening with Gianforte, with these new commissioners, was a was a was a total rejection of that model, and it was a lot of frustration coming from people who spent a lot of time on these issues, who devoted their entire careers and their their lives, and it was it was obvious that they felt very passionately, not just about what was happening with with wolves, but but this what felt to them like an attack on on everything that made. Montana good and special when it came to wildlife. And I found that very compelling. So that was kind of how this story began. That was a, that was the initial focus. And I returned to the park in the spring, did some reporting on the ground, um, you know, spent time with the wolf watchers, spent time in Gardner. Um, and I don't, you know, you know, while I was focusing on how the commission came together and the sort of, the sort of political elements of the story, and I'd, I had always wanted to understand more about how the actual hunt played out, yeah. um, but kind of felt like, you know, I'll get what I can get on that angle, um, but it's probably black box and I'm probably not going to be able to learn too much. Um, but I kept digging away at it and talking to people and, you know, the the more I worked on it, the more I started to learn and I started to gather some details about the way, the way the hunt went down and, um, you know, sort you know, trying to kind of check what I was hearing from one source with another and back and forth. And, you know, before I knew it, uh, you know, I learned that the last Yellowstone wolf, this wolf that researchers knew is 1233, um, was killed by a, a veteran park ranger um that it was a big deal internally that estig- investigations followed uh and 
then I, I, you know, I obviously reached, reached out to him and, and he agreed to talk and, um, and we spoke, um, at length about the situation, about, uh, you know, that particular hunt, about the investigations that followed. And in the meantime, I'd, I'd also submitted, uh, records requests to, to the state and, and to, uh, the department of interior, NPS, Yellowstone, about a whole range of issues. And it was, it was sort of around the time that I was confirming that this hunt happened that, um, Yellowstone, well, really M- MPS un- under interior released to me a huge investigative file, um, that was related to the killing of this particular wolf. And it was almost, almost entirely redacted. Um, but there was a little bit of um, information about the hunt in there. The, the, the main significance of the report was an indication of, that um, there, there was a serious, uh, what looks to be a serious and lengthy investigation here. Um, 200 and so, how many? 296 pages. pages were redacted. Uh, it was uh, 247, I think, redacted. The, the, the non-redacted uh, pages were all, all sort of like regulations that are right. publicly available online. And, you know, to my, to, I, maybe not, maybe surprise isn't the right word, but, you know, Yellowstone confirmed that this, that this happened and then also confirmed that there were ongoing investigations. I mean, we can go into all the details of exactly what the story says, but Broadly, that's what happened. Right. It started as a, a piece of sort of about the commission, about the political connections, uh, and then evolved as, as the process unfolded and I learned more. Yeah, you went down a rabbit hole that ended up in a whole lot of tunnels. I mean, you yeah. went everywhere. And I think it, you know, that in and of itself is interesting. The fact that, I mean, if you... When you read this article, and I'm, I'm trying to read it without knowing anything, right? I mean, as far as Gianforte, and you know, you look at his history. I mean, this is a body slamming guy, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, just not, not, not the neatest of people in that aspect. Um, and as you said, we we went from Montana, who was a um, our commissioners were biologists. They were scientists. They were, you know, I mean, they were at least people in that aspect, for the most part, that we could sit down and have a conversation with and talk what's best for, you know, biologically for our, our, our environment. And it went to ranchers, trophy hunters, outfitters, outfitters. I can go on and on. So, and that's, there, you know, the only Oil and gas. Oil and gas. And the only one left is uh, um, on there that is an actual biologist is Pat Byorth from Steve Bullock's um, administration. And that's going to be changing because his mm-hmm. time is up. And um, there's a whole lot of talk about who will be taking over his place. And mm-hmm. that possibility is one person that's actually in your article. But mm-hmm. we leave that to uh, to speculation at this point. But... Um, it, it it just it really shows the dramatic change from a state that was always, you know, we, we may not have agreed with everything that they did, but at least for the most part, the commission was was um, at least sound in scientific and 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 really wanted to do the best to um, massive predator killing, um, truly just trying to to 
clean the landscape for hunter opportunity or if we really go down that hole um, for uh, commercialization of, our, of our, our wildlife. And that's something that continues to roll. Um, when you were talking, I mean, you went into and you're talking to serious outfitters in these areas. I mean, you know, naming the names, the 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 Lumleys, the Counts, you know, I mean, Hoppy in and of himself, he just likes to talk. But how did you get, I mean, to talk to these guys is really difficult. I mean, that's hard mm-hmm. to get into them. How, how did you, how did you roll with that? How'd you get in there and did you have a difficult time getting into them or, you know, how'd you make that work? Yeah. So initially, um, I did reach out to uh, Matt Lumley, who uh, is a, sort of wears many hats in the sort of mm-hmm. uh, trapping and hunting scene in Southwest Montana. He was the governor's guide to the mm-hmm. Yellowstone wolf that he killed um, shortly after his inauguration um, without having taken the requisite trapping courses. Um, sort of described by Gianforte as a mentor. He did not respond to a request for comment. Um, same was true of uh, Bill Hoppy, who, you know, I'm sure many of your listeners will be familiar with the, the, the long sort of story of. You know, um, Hoppy's position on uh, the reintroduction and his relationship to the park and, and that sort of thing. Heritage, heritage, um, heritage, 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 heritage. I can keep going on and on. <laughs> Just, that's right, the one right. And he's notorious. Right. He's, killed, he's killed plenty of the animals. He's actually killed a, a wapiti wolf as well. That's a whole other story I'm not going to go into. But yeah, please continue. Right. So... Uh, and then, and those two uh, were were actually co plaintiffs in this very interesting lawsuit that was filed, um, you know, before Gianforte came to office. But in any case, those so the, they didn't respond. But mm-hmm. the way it started rolling um, in the case of some of the, the, these other folks was, uh, you know, after I spoke to Brian Helms, who is the uh, backcountry park ranger who uh, hunted this wolf, uh, wolf. 1233 um you know i had at that point confirmed that this event happened and um i knew that the caller from this wolf had ended up um in uh ryan count's possession i actually reached out to counts earlier because i had heard this and i uh i wanted to confirm that it was true i heard that the you know the caller ended up with him and I wanted to know if that was true. And I, I, I wanted to understand how I call, I just called him up and asked and, you know, he confirmed that this is before I really knew any details of exactly what went down. And then I spoke to Helms and he kind of laid it out for me in, in a lot of, a lot more detail. So then I went back to counts and was like, okay, this is, this is what I've heard. Uh, is it true? And, and, you know, he, gave me his uh, account of things. Um, it was, you know, it's pretty, it's sort of straightforward, um, you know, reporting. I, I heard claims. I needed to go to the people, and, you know, who were the subject of those claims and ask them if, if it was, if these things were true. And in this case, um, the things that I've been hearing, the information that I've been picking up turned out to be accurate and and in the case of helms he actually gave me a, a lot more information and and detail that i was able to include in the story about um about all of this so you know it was 
I think it was just a, a result of, you know, factual, you know, claims were going to be made in the story. And I, I needed to, I needed to ask the people who were involved and, and they decided to pick up the phone and, and talk to me. So with Brian Helms, I mean, you know, he spent 30 plus years, I think, in the park. Um, he wasn't a fan of wolves. I know he claims in your article that, that he doesn't have a problem with them. Um, and there's really, you know, everything speculation without actually having that paperwork, right? We can all speculate what he actually did. Did he kill the wolf after 6 p.m., you know, outside of the time frame? Did he kill it inside or outside of the boundaries? I mean, we know that I think it came back that he, he did not kill it inside park, which is which is great. But the time frame with the caller, the time frame with him, um, it, it just doesn't mesh. But I think for me, knowing... Um, and, and that's all speculation and, and whether he did or he didn't, you know, that's neither here nor there. My biggest thing is it's a massive conflict of interest to have somebody who um, their entire livelihood is to know where these animals are at and to be able to jump off work, jump out and go out and kill this wolf in a very, um, and I know, I know this area quite well in Beatty's, Beatty's Butte area. I mean, it, 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 it is you know, it's one of their favorite places, but um, it, it, there's a lot with that. And the fact that he's, he's saying that like, it's a witch hunt and it's all these, I mean, that's just so, I think overly used the last few years, you know, everything's a witch hunt. It's a witch hunt. And it's not, it's literally, dude, you killed this wolf and things don't mesh. And this collar's in the hands of somebody who didn't kill the wolf. I mean, so it, yeah, it's going to bring up questions. And the fact that it did is what put him in the position he ended up in. And I think it always goes back to the same thing when you're not doing anything wrong for me with Brian Helms. Um, if you didn't do anything wrong, why the hell did you quit your job immediately or retire very quickly? Cause I think he knew there's something there, but it goes even further and that's possibly giving coordinates out, you know, from inside to outside the park. And um, we have, you know, just being somebody who spends time in the park and has a lot of folks inside the park that, that do watch wolves, we know this happens. We've watched it. I was out there um, in February, and I was on the hill, you know, Jardine, and I seeing them with their walkie-talkies and their phones and so on and so forth talking. So we know it's happening. It's a matter of catching them. And as you said, there's one warden and he's not in the area often. I think that was even stated in your article. So what were some of the difficulties that you found as far as connecting some of these dots? Because these dots do come from the top all the way down. I mean, it's really not hard to, once you put all this together as you did, to say, here's Gianforte and it just... Everything else just melts down that, you know, it, it's all there. So what were some of the difficulties, and did you run in any difficulties with FWP or with the governor or anybody else? Yeah, I will, before I get into the, into the difficulties, you know, I should, with respect to Helms, since yeah. he's, you know, not here to defend himself, I, you know, I, I feel obligated to, you know, Reiterate what he said, what he's, what he told me, which is that, you know, this, the, that this wolf was, was killed outside of the park and that he checked the time before he killed this wolf and that the, you know, 
the time indicated that he still had a few minutes left um, in hunting hours. And his, his view on this, as he expressed it to me, is that, you know, I mean, it's not an uncommon view um, in these worlds is that, you know, wolves should be managed like any other species, you know, that, uh, you know, when a elk leaves the park, um, you know, it's fair, it's fair game, um, mm-hmm. literally, uh, for, for them to hunt. And, and in his, in his, his view is that, you know, he wouldn't jeopardize his career and retirement, um, you know, doing something that he knew to be illegal. And, and he of all people would know what is legal and illegal since that was his job to enforce sure. those laws. And, he, uh, you know, in terms of his decision to retire the day that he was informed of these allegations that he and other uh, park personnel, mm-hmm. rangers, were allegedly engaged in some sort of conspiracy to target wolves, call, specifically collar wolves. I mean, he says it's, he says it's baseless. Mm-hmm. Uh and he, his reason for not sticking around, as he tells it, is uh, he didn't want to be in a work environment where people treated him like a criminal uh, or, or uh, you know, somebody, a poacher or something along those lines. He felt that... Um, that is not the environment he wanted to be in. So, this, you know, I have to, you know, I'm going to put out, put out, put out what what Helms. This is this is what Helms said, and you know, the park. What what the park has said is that the hunt did not in, did not happen. Did the, this wolf was not killed inside the park's boundaries? Um, the and that there is an ongoing investigation. Uh, I so what I when I went to the park and asked them about all of this stuff, um, I. I laid out what Helms told me he had been accused of. And on those issues, the park declined to provide answers because it cited uh, or, or responses to Helms claims, citing an ongoing investigation. Um, additionally, when that uh, investigative file that I mentioned was released to me, mm-hmm. It does have a line where it says the events uh, that led to this hunt started in the park, right? Um, which is which is interesting, and uh, we don't know for sure what that means. Again, this this is an almost entirely redacted document. It's all speculation, right? Right. right. Yeah, and then in terms of uh, on, on the state level, there was you know immediately after this happened. Um, you know, within two days, uh, there was a local game warden who went out there, uh, or who did an inspection of, of this, uh, filled out a harvest inspection form related to this this particular hunt, and then subsequently, um, a couple of game wardens uh, went out there with with Ryan Counts, who was uh, who was Helm's uh, hunting partner that day, and they they went to the scene and they determined that. that apparently that the you know this this wolf was killed outside the park what's um the wrinkle is that uh 
when I followed up in the course of the, reporting this story uh, about this entire situation with FWP, they told me that um, there that they too have an investigation now um, ongoing, and that that investigation is being run out of it's their Helena office mm-hmm. by their special investigations unit. So two investigations, Got it. Uh, federal and state, um, and again, you know the account that we have of what Helms was accused of comes from Helms. We don't have a lot of information from the park on what these other issues are that they're investigating. We just know that they're investigating. We know that a, a, a substantial investigative file uh, was produced. Um, in terms of the, the question of, uh, you know, did I run into difficulties? You know, one of the things that made this, a really unique reporting experience was that um, it was the first time in my career that a, a federal agency has turned around a FOIA request on a sensitive uh, investigative matter before their deadline. I mean, normally they blow past it and, and uh, you know, and you, you, you might fight for months to, to get a hold of a document, but in, in this case, Interior MPS via MPS released this file to me um, ahead of their deadline, which was unusual, mm-hmm. albeit almost entirely redacted. Um, Yellowstone, you know, did get back to me with you know a comment uh, that addressed the questions that I had uh, before, by their deadline. Um, FWP, uh, in my communications with them, I, I communicated both with their sort of their, their their main office kind of public affairs folks, as well as their um, wolf specialists, and they were pretty helpful. In I mean, they answered my questions, and and I felt like I was able to get useful information from them. Um, so, you know, both of these things are not are not uh, <laughs> are not things I'm accustomed to in this line of work. So that was kind of refreshing. I mean, obviously I still have a lot of unanswered questions and a lot of angles that I'm still exploring. Um, but, uh, it, you know, there, there was a sort of a response from the, the, the agencies involved here that, that allowed me to kind of advance the reporting. So, and that's, you know, I mean, we can, as, as, uh, I'm going to drop really quick to Brian Helms, just to say that true, you know, ethically he may you know there may be an ethical issue but ethics are not legally bound so you know your ethics are not on trial here so we'll see what happens right i think it'll mm-hmm. be interesting i think with with montana yeah when you said you got when you got your foyas back fairly quickly i'm impressed well done because yeah mm-hmm. there's there's definitely issues with that a lot of times especially with a lot of uh internal um happenings with fwp the last year or so um a lot of things have changed when you, because like I said, you went down so many different tunnels and in this rabbit hole, when we start looking at the changes that were made and you start looking at now we're, we're literally specifically speaking to the Yellowstone area, Wolf Management Units 313 and 316, where the 19 wolves were killed and um, you know, a complete packs dead, and we've got you know seven out of this. It, it was it was a massacre, and um, hence the name of the article. There was definitely a massacre. But when you look at this, we start and you look at the government as a whole, 
And once Gianforte got put into office, we go to um, legislation and all these insane bills, 224, 225, you know, all these things from, from Bob Brown and Fielder where they're just massive kill bills and trapping and so on and so forth. And you continue, again, I just keep doing this pyramid where you mm -hmm. look at Gianforte, then you've got your legislation and these insane bills and then all these players. I, you know, I look at this government now, I look at this, this state government and I see follow the money. I see mm -hmm. serious corruption. I see a whole lot going on from outside entities in and this empowerment of a, a movement of, you know, less than 1% of the population that is really taking control. How did, did you see this? Do you feel this? Is that your, I mean, is that where you kind of just started to roll? Yeah. Um, you know, following the money obviously is always a, a good piece of advice in, in this kind of work and in these types of stories. And in the case of Gianforte and the commission, I mean, you know, he brought on several campaign contributors, yeah. prior campaign contributors of his, and not to mention his former gubernatorial running mate. And, uh, <laughs> you know, as you noted, I mean, these are folks who represent industries that have a vested, particular type of vested interest in natural resources and in the land, um, uh, financial interests in, in re regulation that goes a certain direction. Mm -hmm. And that I think many people would correctly and rightly argue is often very at odds with the kind of reputation that Montana had earned on issues of wildlife management that we talked about before. I think it's important to keep in mind that when Gene Forte, before he was governor, when he was in Congress, I mean, he unsuccessfully attempted what would have been the largest rollback of public lands in Montana's history. Um, you know, there's, there's a way in which like you the, Wolves and what's going on with the wolves obviously matter. That's why we're we're here and, and talking about this. But there, it's but a there are a lot. Issue, Ryan, it's yeah. all a public lands issue. So go down the rabbit hole. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that the more you turn this story around and 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 look at it from all angles, what we're talking about in a lot of ways is is a fight over the federal government and the federal government's role in Northern Rockies. Um, you know, and the privatization of mm -hmm. land and how resources are managed and for whom. And so the wolves end up, you know, all these wolves end up getting killed in the course of this fight, but the fight is about so many issues that, that go beyond just these animals. Uh, yeah. It's beyond the, it, it like uh, you hit it, it. It's truly, it is about, uh, to me, it's it, and I keep I, I preach about this on a daily basis, you know that really really watch where you're going. You know you got wolves, you got bears, you got literally lions. It, it's the predators are paying a price for something completely different. You know it's mm -hmm. it's not necessarily about hatred, but it is. It's a hatred for federal government. It's retribution. There's all these different things that are happening. You know on heritage and, but if you really really widen that view, there's such a small little speck of what's really happening, which is truly 
privatizing public lands for the sake of commercialization, to make money, whether you, it is oil and gas or whether it's outfitters and landowners, whatever you want to call it, that is the big picture. And I think if more people would would focus that instead of this hatred for these animals that truly are just wild animals, I mean, there's really mm. nothing over the top different about a wolf or a bear. They're very majestic and amazing, and they're not cuddly creatures. I mean, we, no matter how you look at this, right, they're just a wild animal. And but they're they're truly a scapegoat, and it's that you know watch this hand while I'm over here doing this with you know, and that's a big big problem. And I think that if we saw hunters and the non-consumptive people that got together and recognized that we have all one very 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 big interest, it's public lands. And if we don't all wake up and get together on this, we're all going to lose that opportunity to have public lands. And so that's a big thing. And I think, again, when you say and you look prior to his governorship and what he did, you know, this guy's he's a scary cat. That's why he's got his friends like, you know, Fielder, who, you know, uh, Jennifer Fielder and, and, and Paul Fielder are both big on ALK, you know, the American Land Coalition, which is American land grab, you know, taking taking federal lands away from people. So there's a lot to this. And I think that when we look, you know, yes, I'm a wolf advocate. Yes, this is about wolves and wildlife. But it's more than that, because if we don't have the public lands, we don't have these animals. And, and so, it's an interesting issue, that, you know, among, um, uh, you know, that's gaining a lot of, I don't know if it's saying gaining traction is the, is the right way to describe it. But, you know, there's a segment of public lands hunters, too, uh, you know, in Montana, who I who I think realize you know, sort of what's going on here as well. And their, their access um, is increasingly being choked off by the, this grab for public lands, you know, and it's like, we get to this, you know, later in the story, but there are some, there's some ways in which dynamics are changing within the hunting community and there are different yes. populations within the hunting community. And, public lands and public lands access and the kind of outfitting that exists and who outfitters cater to mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, the changing clientele yeah. and their interests and demands. I mean, these are all part of the story too. And I think, you know, and that I want you to kind of talk about that because that's kind of where we're going is talking to hunters, you know, I, are you, did you see, um, um, I don't know if I want to say, were you surprised or what were your thoughts when you, you know, speaking to hunters and all that, did you see, I mean, it's, it's hard for me to ask this because when I see the people that, you know, that are really in the story, which are really kind of the outfitters and the trappers and the, you know, kind of a thing, but you, you did speak to hunters and, and do they, do they, where's that, where are their fears lying? Do they see this wolf is this creature that for the last 27 years has not decimated Elgert, but you know, that kind of thing. Are they relaxing with that? Are they seeing that the wolf isn't the issue? I mean, what, what was your take on most of the sustenance hunters that you encountered? Yeah. Well, I mean, I came into this, um, this reporting with a, you know, my, my own experience of hunting growing up, um, you know, my, granddad taught me how to shoot when I was very young. We would go on hunting trips, you know, my dad, my grandpa, my, my big, uh, you know, hunters in my family. And I 
you know, grew up thinking of hunting as a pretty uh, sacred sort of act uh, between a, a human and an animal. It was always, you know, use everything that you can, um, you know, the hunters who I knew growing, growing up knew the most about animals of anybody that I knew spent the most time in the outdoors. And I mean, it was really, it's sort of, you know, Pat Byworth kind of gestured at this in his, um, in his remarks at FWP hearing last year before the, the hunt happened before it started. And he was talking about fair chase and the principle of fair chase and how, Everything that was on the table that would later be approved by the commission by Gianforte's handpicked commissioners, you know, it sort of just flew in the face of the principle of fair chase, the idea that human hunters should not take unfair advantage of their non-human prey. So, you know, that's the kind of perspective of hunting that I had coming into this. This is still, you know, I I still think is is largely accurate for a, a a lot of hunters, um, you know, there's hunting and there is what seemed to happen on Yellowstone's border last year, which is a, which to me looks a lot more like a political act, um, Hmm. that involved killing animals, um, or was centered around killing animals. Um, and I've heard from hunters since the story has come out who were, grateful that it's out there and happy that it's out there because they don't feel that this represents them or who they are or what, you know, ethical hunting's all about. Um, you know, when we saw other elements of this, uh, you know, when Gianforte killed a wolf, killed this Yellowstone wolf, and you saw, I think it was backcountry, uh, hunters and anglers don't quote me on that. I'm not, I'm not, I don't, don't have it in front of me who really cast some doubt on his claim that, um, his, uh, you know, the, the fact that he didn't, uh, get, do his requisite trapping course before killing this wolf was just an oversight. I mean, there, have, there has been some pushback yeah. I, from the hunting community in Montana as to the direction that things are going, because I mean, those folks also have an interest in things being driven by science and uh, wildlife being driven by science and and, and not politics. I think it's that Leah, you know, I've, I've had, um, uh, I've I've done a couple podcasts with like, um, they consider themselves Leopoldian hunters, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, I want to go out. I like the, you know, I eat the meat. I, you know, I love the, the chase of that, but it is fair chase. And if they look at it and they say, you know, the, the, um, the ecosystem can't handle me on this ground right now. They'll put their gun away because it's more important to, to live with that. And I, I grew up the same way you did. I mean, I'm a Wyoming kid who grew up in a very, you know, hunting family. And, and it's very important though, that if you're not going to eat the meat, you don't kill it kind of a thing. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's good to see that. I think, um, what are your thoughts? I mean, you, you said it, there's, there's a political kind of context to, what happened around the park last year and what I fear is, and it's just a few people. It's not a lot of people. It's, you know, specifics and, and those specific people are listed in this article. And, um, I think, you know, in some cases probably happily listed (laughs) in here, they like to be known as that. And they are very much bullies in this area. And that's something we'll, we'll hit on in the end, but what, 
with the with the knowledge that you know the the, the Gianforte and you've got Tabor who's you know uh, co-chair, but he seems to be more in charge than anybody else. These people, I mean, the, this commission, um, as far as last year, and we'll see what happens this year, but it, it was a push to continue that kill. And were you able to talk to any of the commissioners during your, besides Pat? I mean, I know you spoke with Pat Byorth, but did you talk to yeah. any of the other commissioners? Yeah, I, I did. I did speak to Byorth for the story. He's quoted in the story. And I, I, I tried to, uh, I reached out to Tabor. And um, so for those who maybe aren't in the weeds on this or haven't, yeah. haven't read the story yet, like you said, he's a vice commissioner of, vice chair, vice chair. Of, the, yep. uh, of, the, of the commission. And uh, I, he comes from an outfitter background, um, has a family outfitting business up near Glacier. Um, you know, that I think it was... As a, there was a, there's a Forbes article about his company, and as of 2018, they think they were doing something like 1.8, 1.2 million a year, like a pretty like seems to right. be like a, a pretty profitable outfitting business in the in the other area of Montana that actually had um, wolf hunting quotas, um, like the sort of park adjacent wolf hunting quotas. Wolf like, management like, unit 110, right there along the uh, the the um, glacier border, and uh, right, yeah. right, and they took exactly. that away. Yep. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I reached out to him. I, uh, we, we did exchange some emails, but I did, wasn't able to get him to agree <laughs> to do an interview. Unfortunately, I would have been, it would have been interesting to, to hear his perspective, but I obviously listened quite closely to, um, everything he said in the, in the major hearings that happened last year in, in the run up. Well, that exchange, that exchange between him and him and Pat Byorth was, um, fantastic. You know, I mean, yeah, and I think it's really revealing it. as to, yep. yeah, quite revealing as to the the, the kind of conflict that uh, the kind of clash of values mm -hmm. that was sort of at the heart of this hunt and everything that happened last year. It just shows that, <clears throat> and what I guess for for those that do, that don't know, in in, in it. Um, uh, Ryan pinpoints this actually in the article as well, but there was an exchange between Pat Byorth, scientist, biologist, actually has a degree. Um, Responsible for the, for the region, the Yellowstone, yes, that, he's region that, that includes three. Yep. the... Yep. Region 3, which is which um, encompasses the Yellowstone area. Um, that's uh, that's his... his um, uh, that's what he's in charge of for commission-wise, is Region 3. And then you've got Tabor, who's the co-chair, who's um, appointed by Gianforte, uh, outfitter, so on and so forth. Um, he's pushing, 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 pushing for the snares for everything. He just wants everything to go away in this area. And um, Pat in this meeting discusses how, you know, this is not how he was raised and that this is not ethical. This is not fair chase. This doesn't, you know, this doesn't uh, um, bode well. And, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, uh, Tabor basically says, I don't like my, what was it? I don't like my ethics, you know, questioned or something. And it, I, it yeah. was an interesting kind of contentious moment. But it, I think Pat did it very eloquently. He did it very well. It's like, mm -hmm. come on, you know, think about what you're doing, guy. And man, you know, again, it goes back to ethics aren't a part of anything anymore. Byers made the point that these are the kinds of tactics, the mm -hmm. kind of tactics that we're being 
propose are the kind of tactics that game wardens open investigations for. It was, and beautiful. he made an additional, and I think very interesting point in in that hearing, where he said, "Look." If we go down this road, we could end up losing, as a state, management of wolves yes. altogether. Is that is this really what we want? Yes. Is, you yes. know, does is our desire to, you know, put on a different face with with respect to wolves? Is, is, is you know, is is it worth it? Really, um, you know, because we could end up losing this all to, altogether. Which is an, it, 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 it yeah. put it out there, and it's really interesting because we're starting to hear that um, uh, in certain uh, EQC meetings and things like that, where uh, representatives are asking, and they're saying, "Hey, you know, this heavy-handed approach you guys are pushing." And there was one that just happened in an EQC meeting uh, from a representative that happens to be on the EQC uh, with uh, Hank Warshak, who is the director of of. Uh, Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, also appointed, um, also has a nifty background. Everybody has an outfitting background, you know, in, in that aspect. So there's killing, killing, killing. Anyway, ask Hank, hey, don't you think some of these heavy-handed approaches that we're having, you know, with with the amount of tools in the toolbox, with it, with with all this legislation, don't you think we're we're pushing down this road of of relisting? Mm-hmm. And uh, Hank said, nah, nah. I don't think so. And it was in mm-hmm. regards to the 10 wolves. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, if you look at the uh, proposal, it appears that, um, which I found really interesting, um, when Fish, Wildlife, and Parks put that proposal out, there's two two people they mentioned that they were working with. One of them happened to be my organization, Wolves of the Rockies, which we found really humorous. And the other was Yellowstone National Park. And... Mm-hmm. Um, they're not listening to anybody, so nobody's working with them. But um, that's obvious if you look at the proposal, who they're actually working with. But um, what's interesting is that Hank had said that uh, everybody was okay with 10 wolves being killed, which is the new proposal for this year in, in 313. And it's not true. Nobody's okay with 10 wolves. Nobody is okay with that. And so it just goes to show you that there's ethics are gone. Truth is not a, necess- a necessity. They have an agenda. And did you grasp that? Is that how you feel, that there is an agenda? And what is that agenda? Yeah. Um, it's. I mean, I think it's a lot of things at once. I think that there is, I think, you know, the one that I kept coming back to is this sort of pendulum swinging idea mm-hmm. that, you know, the reintroduction happens in 95 and in the two and a half decades that follow, you know, the, the, the researchers, the biologists, the scientists, the, the wolf, Yellowstone wolf project, all of the kind of values that it represents um, for a large segment of society are cherished and celebrated. And these are, you know, a lot of these, these wildlife managers become some of the, you know, kind of world famous figures in, yeah. in conservation. And um, I think that there was an idea uh, when the anniversary came around in, in 2020, um, this sort of like very triumphant, mood of accomplishment deservedly so i mean yeah. you know 
a you know 25 year old project that is considered one of if not the most successful you know predator reintroduction program anywhere absolutely but i think there was also a a, a sort of maybe blindness to that might be too strong of a word i mean i, I think the people who are involved in this always knew that, that that this this element was out there but you know, sort of maybe a sort of taking for granted that this thing will always be stable. Right. Um, that you know, obviously, every everybody agrees that this is this is the kind of thing that a society can get behind, and not fully appreciating that the sentiments that existed in '95 when the reintroduction happened, when you started seeing the shoot, shovel, and shut up mm-hmm. type of thing everywhere. You know that didn't that didn't go away, and um, you know that segment now has a direct line to the governor, mm-hmm. and you know nothing. Things aren't as permanent, maybe as they seem, or um, you know, as you know. I, I just feel like there was a there was a rocking of that world that I that I just keep coming back to as a so is it a, an agenda? You know, I think that. I think that a sort of asserting of dominance and you had your time and we have now it's our time is the kind of agenda. It's kind of like what Carter Niemeyer told you. Um, and and we, I think we all believe it's true. It's payback now, clear and simple. And, you know, it, it is, I believe, um, you know, like he said, it's, re- it, it, it's retribution. Hell with science, hell with anything. We like to kill wolves. And it's true. Um, there's yeah, one, and I mean, I think that frightening. You know? I mean, we might not see another year. Who knows? We might not see another year uh, anytime soon of just completely un- unlimited um, action mm-hmm. on the northern border of Yellowstone National Park. But they got a year where they were able to do it, and then, mm-hmm. and then, and then we move into a, a phase in an era where the quote is going to be vastly higher than, yeah. than it has been at any point in the, in the last, uh, you know, decade or so. So, I mean, the kind of, the, the interests that pushed for this hunt still, still come out of this pretty, pretty well. I mean, they still get like, you know, ample hunting opportunity in an area that was off limits to them. And they had got to have this, this year of no holds barred sort of, uh, do what you want on the uh, on the park's boundary. So it's gonna get well. I mean, if if we don't um, if we don't make some changes pretty quick. I mean, just listening, you know, getting into meetings. We're listening to all these different meetings. The Elk Advisory Council just had theirs yesterday, and they're calling for three sixty five aerial hunting. They want it all. They and it's literally quote unquote for hunter opportunity. We need to boost mm-hmm. hunter opportunity. Those words are going to continue to come up over and over and over again. And so it's scary when that kind of stuff happens, when you're, when you're envir- you know, your environmental quality councils t- talking about things, you know, with FWP management, which is absolutely, um, that's the biggest problem. I don't worry so much except for a couple biologists, but, you know, the, the management itself is just frightening. But when you've got those meetings where they're like, there's just not enough hunter opportunity, we have more <laughs> wolves on the landscape today than we did in 1995. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's insane. What do you want? 
And when we talked to, and I had a conversation with one of the commissioners yesterday, we actually had a really good conversation. And, um, you know, it was like, well, that's, you know, you got to be careful when you talk about um, hunter opportunity and elk numbers being higher at, at or above objective. It's all about region. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is region two and there's, the, you got to be careful. There's no, we don't have elk here. And I said, slow, slow down a second. When was the last time you guys did an elk count? Mm-hmm. 2000, what was it? 2007, 2009? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. You're right. There's an issue. And I'm like, okay, so we're here. Let's discuss this issue. But that's the main rhetoric. Hunter opportunities down. We don't have any elk, yet all the information that FWP puts out says wolves are not an issue. Hunting mm-hmm. is not an issue. There's plenty of elk. There's plenty of deer. There's plenty of hunt, but they don't talk about it. They allow these people to continue to say that they don't have these opportunities and that wolves are the reason. Um, and it's, it's going to get, it's going to get worse if we don't, we don't get some changes. And, you know, that's, <laughs> that's kind of part of the, the scenario of this article is that mindset of still going after the fed after 27 years of the reintroduction, we have not, we thought it would go away. You know what I mean? That it would mm-hmm. slowly just go away. You can have this hunter opportunity. Now you can hunt wolves. This was kind of the theory and it's just gotten worse. Mm-hmm. You know, it's exceedingly worse. And I don't, I think, you know, like you said, it's just retribution. It's something that um, these people feel the need to, I don't know. I, I, I guess take back what's theirs kind of a theory, my heritage, so we need to kill them all. But it's through this crazy guise of, you know, it's kind of insane. What, where do you think this is going to go? Where do you think we're headed with this? I mean, if you had that crystal ball of knowledge, where do you think we're headed? I mean, this next proposal is pretty ugly, but we've got yeah. Stuff coming around the corner with legislation too. So, I honestly don't know. I, I, you know, through the reporting process and even you know since the story has published, I still constantly thinking and wondering where this goes next. I mean, obviously the the review that is happening right now, the relisting review and decision expected in September, is something that I'm keeping a very close eye on. I mean, it's, you know, I can see a scenario where, you know, the Biden administration doesn't want to, Mm -hmm. you know, reignite this massive culture war battle issue, um, have this fight with um, this Republican governor in, you know, this critical Northern Rocky state. I mean, obviously that, that, that shouldn't be the kind of thing that informs, uh, their decision like that on paper that's not the way it's supposed to work but you know <laughs> politics are what they are um you know but maybe they maybe they go the other way maybe they do decide that Gianforte and his counterparts in idaho went too far um you know then then we're then you know maybe we are looking at a, a showdown of some sort it's it's really hard yeah. to say i don't i, I really don't know I where things are going to go the, the political aspect of things i mean we're sitting here at a midterm and i hate to say this but you know the death of wolves is sometimes in the political arena worth 
hopefully holding on to those Senate seats, right? That's kind of how I see this mm-hmm. happening. And I don't think we're going to see an answer in September. I think it'll be in November. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're going to see anything until then. And mm-hmm. we know that the government doesn't have to hang on to your timeline. We've talked about that, you know, just with yeah. areas and everything else. It's like, meh, we'll get to you when we can. But I don't think that's going to happen. We also see, and I truly, there's a part of me that says, you know, keep keep putting out these measures, guys, because the more um, insane they become, I think the more we have that relisting, and it's going to be the opposite of what they wanted to gain, right? They want to gain mm-hmm. control back. They want all these things. Um, and I think um, my hope is, and, and the way it, it should appear, is that the more crazy you get, the more we're going to take that. You know, we're going to take your toys away now. We can't do this. We're mm-hmm. going to reel you back in, and that's where the relisting, in my opinion, will we'll hopefully or probably happen. So, you know, I think they're in a frenzy. They're going to do what they're going to do. And at this point, we need to... We need to do our part to, to, I guess, I don't want to say defend, but I think uh, Ralph Johnson, the uh, the outfitter and, and brother of uh, the other Johnsons um, up the hill from him at uh, Hells Are Roaring Outfitters, who are some of the biggest notorious killers of wolves in the area, especially 316, um, said, you know, I, I mean, his words were, were pretty pretty poetic or prolific where he said mm-hmm. um what the what did he say what the pro-wolf contingent needs now is courage they let these anti-wolfers intimidate them if i was one of those wolf groups i'd be out hiking every day in this area to hell with those guys i wouldn't let these guys push me out it's a national forest what i'm saying is don't let them dominate this place because that's what's happening i see that it's getting worse if you run them guys uh, if you run from them, guys, they're going to take advantage. It's like a mean dog. If you show fear, he's going to come after you. I mean, he's right. You know, people are afraid. And I'm, you know, I'm not one of those, I don't I don't step off too quickly and too easily. I've gone, you know, I've gone foot to foot with these guys for too many years. And that's it. But if you do show fear, it's like any other bully. But is that is that the protection we need to try to help our Yellowstone wolves and to protect, you know, America's wolves and, and, and this, this scientific bubble that is Yellowstone National Park? Is, is that what it's going to take in order to protect it? Do you think Ralph's right? Don't you love it when I put you I mean, on the Ralph's, spot of something so Ralph's, kind of <laughs> uh, Ralph is speaking from a lifetime of experience, right? I mean, he's been an outfitter his entire life. He has been right there on the edge of of the park, um, you know, and deeply immersed in this community and and these issues. So I think that what he says, you know, on on the record in in that community, um, it bears a lot of weight and and it takes a lot of... takes a lot of guts to say i mean one of the things that i was struck by in this in reporting this story was um the level of kind of fear and reticence people who you know live full-time in gardner for those who don't know the community on the sort of northern gateway to the park in talking about this stuff um i mean i you know while we're talking about big 
national level issues, national level politics and, and that sort of thing. And like, this is also a local story yeah. and it, it is, is also a, a small town story. And it, what happened last year had a, a, a really heavy impact on individual people and, and a community of guides of, of you know, uh, outfitters of uh, advocates, I, you know, it, it's extremely intense. I think it's a, a microcosm of a lot of other issues that are going on in our country right now and, and divisions and anger. And, um, you know, does it, does it require a, a more sort of defiant and militant response? Like Ralph is saying, he, he might be right. I mean, like I said, this guy, uh, you know, he's speaking from a place of experience that I don't have at the, at the same time. It's like, I don't, you know, it, you don't want to see this get worse. Um, so there's gotta be some way that, uh, people can start seeing each other as people again and talking and, and it, it just, but it doesn't feel like it's going that direction. I, yeah. I think that, we have seen, I mean, we've always, this has been a fight for a lot of years now, you know, um, but there has been definitely a change in the demeanor of certain people where, you know, they kind of played behind the scenes a little bit Mm -hmm. where they're out front and they're very, very just gung ho. Don't care. There's some, some thing that has happened. Um, in the political spectrum a few years ago that just brought these people, you know, out of the woodwork to be whoever they want to be and as loud as they want to be. And as, um, it doesn't matter. There isn't retribution anymore. They feel emboldened, I think is the best word for it. And it's hard to put that into check when there is no want to talk about it. They're very set in where they stand, whether it is based on um, hate, anger, fear, political affiliation, heritage, whatever they, their belief is so deep that there is no changing that mind. So how do you sit down with that? How do you mm-hmm. have that conversation? Yeah. How do you communicate that? Because we have tried with some people and it doesn't work. And I think that when they're so emboldened to stand or or be on horseback right along right on the edge of Yellowstone National Park, pulling these animals out in broad daylight, no issues whatsoever. Sometimes I don't and I'm not suggesting this, but sometimes I'm not saying force meets force, but you know what? I love to hike and I love to be in the backcountry. And sometimes I need to be back there when it snows. Maybe that's the point. And um, I think that's the point he's trying to make is don't let these people yeah. bully you off of national forest land. It's not okay. Yeah. So I respect him a lot for for having that. And, and he has spoken out before, but that ability to say, uh-uh, this isn't okay. And we shouldn't be shooting and we shouldn't be killing in these areas in general in some cases. And this is a guy who makes his living, you know, uh, outfitting. So... Mm it's pretty pretty awesome i think also on the on the question of protection i think that what happened last year 
And one of the issues that really underscores is that, you know, there are supposed to be institutions in place, actual departments, agencies, um, devoted to handling these issues. And they are supposed to operate in, in a particular way, um, you know, free of politics and driven by science. And, you know, I think what happened with last year's hunt is... Is, is very strong evidence that that that, that system broke down yeah. uh, and you know so, so the question of well, what do you do now is, is sort of motivated in part by that by that breakdown right like yes yeah <laughs> Yeah, and I think again it go and we can continue. I mean, literally, I would love to go line to line to line to line, you know, from from part one to part five and just dissect everything that you 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 did. So maybe um, we can do that someday. <laughs> but I think we we know that there's you know we went from an agency that was pretty well respected throughout you know the the fishing game government you know agencies throughout the country. Um, and within a matter of two years has become one of, you know, notoriously worst. Um, they, they are now known as no science, no conservation, not caring about any economics. It's literally, there's a vendetta, there's, there's something. And it's all taken place since Gianforte became governor. Um, that literally, by putting certain people in place as director, um, you know, taking taking the place of someone like Martha Williams, who is now, you know, you know, uh, director of USFWS, um, who was pretty complacent when she was director. She didn't do a whole lot of anything. So um, not saying she was bad or good, just saying there, she just didn't rock the boat. Mm-hmm. And now we have a director in there who's tipped the boat over and the department is truly they're drowning. I mean, there's a lot of discontent and discord within this department because of what's going on. And I think with anything like that, there has to be a massive failure for anything to actually change. And um, it's very corrupt. The system's corrupt. The government's corrupt here. And um, I'm hoping that two years down the road we can change that. But as long as he's at the helm, I think we're going to continue to do what we we are doing now. So people need to speak out and you've done it. And I appreciate you more than anything for what you've done and what you've put out. And we will continue to, to spread this out there. Cause I think it's important. This is not the only agency. This is not the only state government that's screwed up. You know, you've got Idaho that is equally insane, if not worse in some cases, you've got Wyoming that's doing a lot of things right, but you know, when you're using snowmobiles to run over predators, we've got a sick problem going on within these legislations where that's an okay tool. So we have a lot of changes to make. One of the biggest questions that everybody's asking me is, when's the follow-up? <laughs> um, I'm working on it. I'm working awesome. on it. Uh, that's great. Uh, hope, I, I, I can't give you a published date yet because I don't know myself, but there's definitely uh, threads uh, that I'm, still pulling on, uh, things that I wasn't able to include. Uh, so yeah, uh, there's, as you know, there's a, there's a lot here. Um, 
you, there's there's still more to be done. You went down, you went, like I said, you went down the rabbit hole in a million tunnels. And within those tunnels, there's tunnels. I mean, it's crazy. And um, so where, where, wherever you lead, I'm, I'm excited to, to follow and, and watch and wait and, and expose and do whatever we have to do because we have to change this narrative and you have helped us um, immensely with your article and so I thank you well, so much tips are welcome not financial tips informational <laughs> tips uh, here, well, please send them my way we, and... we, we will have a conversation again because there's a whole lot of tips to go with that but um, Ryan thank you so much thank you for speaking with me and I hope we can do this again um, I, I think yeah. there's a lot to do um, so thank you, thank you, thank you. And I look forward to, uh, I look forward to a future conversation. Thank you so much for having me. And thank Article. you to everybody who's listening. I, I really appreciate it. Everybody reach out to Ryan, the intercept, take a look at all of his articles. Um, I've been reading the hell out of him and he is an amazing journalist and amazing investigator, as you guys can tell. And, um, reach out to the intercept. Great, great, great place for, um, news. And uh, that's it. Ryan, thanks so much. Hey, thanks for hanging out and listening to Ryan and I's conversation. I'm really excited to find out what is in store in the future with his investigative reporting in this area and on this subject. And I know you guys are too. So stay tuned. I know that we will, uh, we'll, we'll, hang, we'll hang out again with, with Ryan soon. But I wanted to continue out by ending this, this conversation and ending this podcast was something very important. Everything that Ryan found and the things that he's still digging on are vital to the health and the well-being of our wildlife, especially our predators in the states of Montana, Idaho, and Wyoming, where their idea of healthy lands and ecosystems are without predators. In other words, they're built for hunter opportunity. Montana has their uh, Fish, Wildlife, and Parks commissioners meeting on August 25th. Well, they will vote on their proposal. If you want to know more about that proposal and what that really truly means for our Montana wolves and our Yellowstone wolves as well as glacier wolves, please don't hesitate. Reach out to wolvesoftherockies.org. You can find us on Facebook as well. Reach to our relistwolves.org page. And you can reach out to me at kim at wolvesoftherockies.org. I will answer any questions that you have for that. In the meantime, please stay tuned. Keep an eye out for more information on what is happening in the western states. And uh, it's really important that you guys are a part of this conversation. So thank you. I also want to thank our sponsors, SKB Cases. I don't trust my equipment with anything else. These are the most durable, amazing cases I've ever encountered. And between my podcast, my camera, my everything, all my equipment is uh, stored and traveled in these cases. So I want to thank SKB Cases for putting out such a phenomenal product. All right, everybody, until next time, be safe, be kind, and always stay wild.